Well, Paul puts it pretty succinctly in his letter to the church at Colossae. We are God's chosen ones, God's special people, and we are to live our lives as such. We're commanded to do so in Scripture. But what does that practically mean, to live as God's chosen ones? What makes us different from others outside these walls to, uh, to people who don't know what it is to be in God's favor? How do we tell the world that our life is different and meaningful as Christian people in our modern times? And that's really what today's scriptures are telling us and explaining to us, and we want to explore together. Because we have two different stories in our Old Testament and our New Testament readings. One is a glimpse of the prophet Samuel, and the other is a glimpse of this young person, Jesus. Here's what they say in common uh, of these two very different people as they live their lives before God and the people of their time. Now Samuel, the boy Samuel, continued to grow in stature and in favor with the Lord and with the people. And then in Luke, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in years and in, di- and in divine and human favor. These two men lived thousands of years apart from one another, yet they both have that same comment made about their lives. They grew in favor with the Lord and with the people, Samuel, and divine and human favor for Jesus. So the question I raise about that is why is this an important comment to make about them? It's easy to think that Jesus grew in favor with everyone, even God. After all, He was the Son of God. He was Jesus. He should grow in favor with everyone. Samuel, not so easy maybe, but he's still a biblical hero, so to speak. And uh, he should come to uh, some extent grow in favor with everyone. Heroes do that sort of thing. Is this growing in favor business only for the heroes or the messiahs out there? Uh, Really, it's not, certainly. It's something that we all should strive to be recognized for in our lives, especially these days when there's hardly anyone at all that's recognized as favorable and trustworthy in character. Think for a moment who in our times could be considered favorable and trustworthy and good and solid character. It seems like everybody wants to hear that bad story about that person. You know, I I think in particular about Bill Cosby, you know. Here's a guy who for years was loved and beloved by everybody and then suddenly all this terrible stuff comes out and everybody wants to know about it. Everybody wants to hear about it. Even the people we trust in sort of those famous positions, those heroic positions, tend to fall down. As we begin to investigate this a little bit more this morning, let's just take a moment to pray. Holy God, we ask that you will truly calm our minds right now and our hearts. It's a busy time, lots going on, lots to be thinking about, but we need to be thinking right now about Samuel and Jesus and the words of Paul. And be thankful, as Psalm tells us. Lead us, Spirit, in what you have for us this day. Open our hearts to something brand new. And help us to be the people that you want us to be, that chosen people. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Many different publications put out a list every year of uh, professions that are trusted. And sort of a survey they do. And in I have a list, a Canadian list, that was done a few years ago, and I'm sure it hasn't changed very much. It's uh, titled, The Most Trusted Professionals Out There. And I'll give you the top ten. Number one, firefighters. Number two, emergency medical technicians, or EMT. 
Number three, pharmacists. Number four, nurses. Number five, doctors. Number six, airline pilots, although I think that might have been sliding a few years over the last few years. Number seven, believe it or not, dentists. Number eight, teachers. Number nine, armed forces members. And number ten, veterinarians, of all people. And a list, shorter list of maybe of the most trusted industries that we have. Number one, medical research. Number two, tourism. Number three, technology. Number four, air travel as an industry. And number five, the food industry. And we have a contrary list to that that I want to give you as well. The most distrusted professionals out there. Number one, boy, I can relate to this one, telemarketers. Number two, car salespeople. Number three, psychics. Believe it or not, it's only at number four, politicians. Number five, bloggers on the Internet. Number six, CEOs of major companies. Number seven, real estate agents. Number eight, car mechanics. Number nine, actors. And sorry for those in our congregation because I know we have a couple. Number ten is lawyers. But they're only ten. They're not number one. And the most distrusted industries is the number one, tobacco industry. Number two, the weight loss industry. Number three, advertising in general. Number four, the oil industry. And number five is tied between insurance and the cosmetic industry. It's a long list of different things. And uh, religious institutions tend to come in at uh, 17 or 19. They're down at the, still in the top 20, but that's where they tend to be. And uh, it, that's a ch- big change over the last, say, 50 or years or so. Firefighters, nurses, pharmacists, airline pilots, doctors, the police, and teachers. A lot of statistics and a lot of lists to be thinking about. And it can be overwhelming as I'm just throwing that out at you. And you may or may not agree with that order in your own personal experiences. The point of showing this to you today is to start your minds thinking about who we trust and who we find in favor, to use a biblical terminology. The question I want to ask us all today, and I think Paul is challenging us with in his words, is how are we as Christians seen by the world at large? Because they are watching us. And I don't mean us in this room necessarily, particularly, well, including us. I mean the church with a capital C or the Christian community at large. People are watching us. They have been watching us for a long time. Where on these lists would we as a group be found? In the past, I've been interviewed on a secular talk radio show, and they uh, certainly had a perspective on Christians, and I uh, fortunately didn't match their perspective. Showed up to the interview dressed much like as I am now. So they were expecting a stodgy kind of minister to show up as I wore my collar and showed up playing the part of a Presbyterian minister. I set the stage for them, so to speak. They seemed to think that Christians, as I got talking with them before we went on the air, were basically unintelligent, uninformed, crazies. And quite frankly, something I hadn't heard for some time, and to be honest, I thought we got past all that kind of thinking to some degree, but there it was. It's the radio hosts, that's what they were thinking. And I know for me personally, way back when, before I was a Christian person myself, a follower of Jesus, I kind of thought much the same as my interviewers thought. But 
That was a long time ago. Things have changed. Our culture here in Canada especially has changed very much since those days. Speaking your mind about religious beliefs in my day was something you didn't do without expecting some level of ridicule. But people aren't that way today. What my interviewer said to me was that I seemed to really honestly engage in the conversation with them. And they said the word, because I'm quoting, they had a respect now for sorts like me. In other words, I represented the congregation and uh, the community well for them. I didn't do anything special. I was just being me, which also kind of sets the stage in some ways. Unfortunately, there have been far too many fringe folks out there still to this day, especially in American Christianity and American politics, who created a bad taste in the mouths of people around the world, people who are technically really outside looking in. So they're not, they don't have the whole story. They're just seeing some actions that are taking place and think that reflects everybody that says they're a Christian. There is one thing, however, I know that makes a difference in how we're perceived, not just by the world because of what they think really doesn't matter in one sense, It's how our Lord sees us, too. It's how we treat each other. Most of the letters that Paul has written have ended up in our Holy Scriptures, that ended up in our Holy Scriptures, rotate around how people, Christian believers, should be treating one another. He's usually trying to settle an argument that's taking place. Knowing that the world is looking at us and that the Lord is also looking very closely at us, here's what Colossians says. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must forgive. And above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. The church at Colossae had some real troubles with how they were treating each other. They were listening to various teachings and teachers other than Paul that told them um, how to be right with God in in one of those ways, but they had to eat certain foods. If you read the book of Colossians, you'll see Paul referencing this. They had to eat certain foods. They had to worship in a particular way. And in particular, part of their worship was worshiping angels. An odd thing to come about, but it's an old teaching. And this was causing divisions and arguments in the congregation. Now, I've talked about this before, about problems that occur in congregations. And every time I've given an example, understandably, there's giggling that goes on because the argument seems ridiculous when we think about it because we're sitting on the outside looking in. But that's how the world sees us when we argue with one another. Not only other Christians, but certainly the world at large. Because it seems trivial to be arguing over the old question, how many angels can dance on the head of a pin? And that's going to split a church or split a denomination or split a congregation. It's ridiculous. But to the people involved, it's important. Paul's making an attempt to say, this is what you need to be doing. And everybody unite yourselves around that. The things that make the difference for us in how we live is how, truly, how we treat one another, how we are in relationship with one another. It's particularly when it comes to conflict. See, it's easy when we're all getting along to say that we love each other, we're all happy. And uh, when someone's in need, we rush off to help them, and that's a good indicator. But the true test is conflict. 
how we treat one another and how we deal with conflict. You know, and conflict is a normal part of human experience. See, if there was just me in the room, there'd rarely be a problem. Because I rarely disagree with anything I have to say. But as soon as there's another person in the room, we're likely going to have a disagreement over something. And then you multiply that times a hundred, and you get high potential for some disagreement and misunderstanding. And communication theory comes into it here. The words I'm saying this morning, there's a hundred people maybe in this room, there's a hundred interpretations of what I'm saying. Even though you all heard the same thing, you're all hearing it differently because you're all hearing it from your own perspective, and that's fine. That's what we need to bring to the table. And how we react to one another, as Paul is clearly telling us, here's what to do, will define us as Christian people, will define us as that chosen people of God. And as we look at one another and conclude the years that we're in and think about it in that perspective, if someone were looking at us from the outside looking in, saw us in a conflict or, or a trial situation, like a tri- 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 tribulation type of uh, situation, time we didn't get along. How did we do that? There's a church in our own presbytery that's now sort of over it and healed and moving forward. But I know there was a difficulty in this, this congregation because I was part of some of the conversations at presbytery that was going on about it. This congregation, how they dealt with conflict was not good. In fact, one of the stories I heard, and it's not uncommon from another, I've heard many stories similar to this, unfortunately. They were going to come together to talk about their issues. And they clearly, you could see in the room, there was them and us. Because they even set the room up like that. They set the chairs up before the interim moderator got there set the chairs up facing each other on this side of the room and on this side of the room. Three rows facing this way, three rows facing this way. And you picked your side. And it devolved the conversation into personal insults and arguments. What a reflection of God's chosen people that is. Now that, you know, we want... In some situations, that can almost work as long as people are civil and doing all that Paul says, forgiving one another, having patience with one another, loving one another as best you can. You don't always have to agree, but be prepared to talk it through. Be prepared to let God lead. In this particular instance, they weren't. They were far more emotional. Fortunately and thankfully, through prayer and intervention on the part of uh, the moderators that have been in there, the interim moderators, there's been a great healing taking place at that congregation. They don't sit like that anymore. And I'm sure there's still things going on because healing takes a long time, but they're moving forward. There's a history in this congregation from a long time ago with much conflict. And I've been recently, even recent, just this last month, talking with some people about uh, when I'm doing some of my visits, about Aldershot, for instance, of those of you who remember that church and all of that was going on during those rough times, folks. But here we are now, reflecting and being God's chosen people, 
loving one another, having patience with one another, caring for one another in the good and the bad. I want to close by saying this again. One of the things that came up when I was interviewed to be the minister at this church, that they said, did I have anything I wanted to add? And in sort of summary, I said the following, because I believe this with all my heart, and I've seen it demonstrated by you as well. I know conflict's going to happen. I know that at some point, people are going to be upset with the minister. Conversely, at some point, the minister may even get upset with people. But what's going to make the difference is I'm not going to take my ball and go home. I'm going to stay here and work it through as best we can. And I've seen that demonstrated by lots of people in this congregation. And I'm thankful for that. That when situations have arisen where there's been a conflict somewhere, people work it through as best they can. They don't just take their ball and go home. And that's doing what Paul says. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord. And that's how we're going to resolve and live as we draw closer to God and reflect as we draw closer to the end of this year and think about what we've done in the last year and how we want to improve. Because that's New Year's resolutions, right? That's what that's all about. By the way... I wanted to look up where New Year's resolution came from. I've got to tell you this because I, I, I just was looking it up the other day. It started, it's an ancient thing with uh, Romans and all that sort of stuff, but it really became important during the age of chivalry. And it was originally called the Peacock Vow of New Year's resolutions, where the knights of the, you know, the realm would renew their vows to the chivalry, chivalric oath. And if you look that oath up on, online, it's quite something. Though It's talking exactly the words that Paul says about how we would, shall act and treat one another. It's right from Scripture. And it's renewing that. And they would often have a feast, and they would serve peacock, of all things, at that dinner. And over that dinner, the, over their peacock dinner, they would make a vow to renew this. And as, I think that's something that we could be doing, is looking at this reading from Colossians and how we should be treating one another and that's a New Year's resolution, that we can improve on it. We've been doing a good job, but we can improve on that. Love one another, be patient with one another, forgive one another. And don't take your ball and go home. Stay and talk it through. God will help us and guide us if we trust Him in all we do, truly. Thanks be to God. Amen. Gather together now for our tithes and offerings that God has blessed us with over this last while. We are recipients of an abundant life in Christ, and now we do offer our gifts to God.